Welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where we'll, Mark and Andy discuss movies and albums and then apply an arbitrary numerical value. Screedlers, gather round and listen, we're about to begin. is Will Holden and today I am joined by the adorable Andy Melbourne. Whoa. <laughs> You're right, bud. <laughs> Thank you for taking part. And the miraculous Mark Wall. Yo. Yo's all round and yo to you, sir. Uh, today we're here to talk about Andy's picks. The first of which is The Edge of Darkness from 1985. You like to play things close to the chest, don't you, Craven? Yes, till I know what's going on. For instance, I don't know who you are or what your interest is. We won't direct a cabinet office. As far as they're concerned, we have carte blanche. It's the first time we've done a TV miniseries. Uh, it is made up of uh, five episodes, six episodes. Um, over five hours and seven minutes. It was the winner of seven BAFTAs and nominated for five others. Stars people such as Bob Peck, Joe Don Baker, um, Hugh Fraser, Zoe Wanamaker, John Woodvine, etc. And the pitch goes, when his daughter Emma is murdered, Detective Craven discovers that she was a member uh, of an uh, environmental activist group called Gaia, um, who had occupied <laughs> activists occupied with exposing Northmore nuclear waste storage facility for illegal activities. Um, Andy, how did you come across Edge of Darkness? Because I had not heard of it before. Before now, yeah, I um, I watched it with my dad when I was younger. I don't, I don't totally remember, but I don't think I was that. I don't think it was that long ago like maybe a decade fairly long but I wasn't like a kid um and I didn't really remember much about it at all apart from the fact that I thought it was like a masterpiece um whether it held up uh like that on second viewing I will mm-hmm. uh I'll save till a little little later uh Mark what did you uh what did you make of it because I'll be honest like as I picked it I thought this is right up Mark Street yeah, uh, you were correct. I really liked it quite a lot. I think it's um, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know what what would be to dislike. Really, it's just a. It hasn't aged at all. I don't think. the The only the only way it has is in a cool way, really. But I just think it's uh, super engaging, really well made. It's classic TV, and I'm not a big TV guy in general, to be honest. I mean, in terms of modern TV. I still watch some, but you know the stuff which is sort of widely touted as being fantastic must-watch TV. I'm thinking of things like Chernobyl, Mad Men, uh, Sopranos, whatever. Now I, I haven't watched all of these shows, but what I have seen of them just don't do anything for me. 
and um this did i think this is this is way better than than most modern tv in my mind i thought it was fantastic and all the character names are cool and that's always a good start <laughs> what more do you need um i certainly agree with you uh, along the lines of like the storytelling and the directing the pacing i think is excellent across six episodes it just it never seems to really to lag and i think all those things are something that contribute to a feeling like pretty ageless despite it being set in i mean made in 1985 it never really um it sort of crossed my mind or or was apparent or important that it was set in the 80s and i think that helps to not tie it down to its to its era other than like you know car designs and people don't have mobile phones and that sort of stuff otherwise it kind of kept out of current events and and referencing anything like that which i think helps it now watching it again i think the kind of undercurrent of um like a nuclear threat and the kind of distrust of of nuclear as a whole i think that's fair that is very yeah i think i think that that sort of (laughs) dates it is sounds like that's a bad thing like i I don't think it's dated either like it it looks like a like a late 80s series but um but i think it looks great like (laughs) the, the fact that the uh the look of it is dated is not a kind of negative to me um yeah i think it held up as much uh on second watch as it did the first time i i i certainly didn't remember how good bob peck is in in it yeah um, bob peck as uh, as ronald craven you write his cool names yeah um yeah i think like the amount of kind of emotion that he gets into a character that is supposedly like it kind of has that like that typical like northern like don't show emotion sort of thing but then Absolutely. like he's like his eyes are so like expressive um and like you get the odd moments usually when he's alone or with like the um the kind of I was gonna say ghost of his daughter but it's just a sure man, his man yeah it's just a man going through grief isn't it um yeah, those moments where it does actually break down, I find so like they really they really hit you hard because every time he's speaking to a character, he's just like straight down the line about it. Like he's not going to acknowledge the fact that like his daughter's death has a sort of emotional yeah. uh, impact on him when it clearly has a like of course it has a huge impact. And every time they kind of show his daughter either in flashback or in um hallucination yeah hallucination like the the kind of close relationship that he has to his daughter is obviously like a key part of his like personality well that was one of the baftas uh was bob peck as uh best actor um and as i kind of intimated to mark when we were talking last night um there was an element of it that warmed on me throughout like as we got into the series and I think that is Bob Peck's performance. I think in the kind of initial opening episode, um, that kind of sense of northern uh, masculine emotionlessness is so, I don't know, sort of abrupt and in your face, but particularly considering how his daughter is murdered, that at first it felt unrealistic, like he was really sort of underacting the moment. But as the as the show develops and you and and Craven 
evolves as a character and you do get those moments like in the last couple of episodes he properly starts like you know screaming into the rain sort of um uh, emotional emotional turmoil So that, that, that sort of had to warm on me, I think, over the first couple of episodes. At first, I was thinking, this this guy's a bit, just, like, what, what is he acting? It's nothing. But then the nothing has a purpose as it as it evolves. Yeah, I, I agree. He's, he's awesome. I think all the cast is, really. It just does loads of interesting things as well, as you say. I mean, you know, it's what, 20 five 27 years old whatever it is more than that sorry isn't it yeah um 87 87 it came out wait was it sorry 87 was it 85 it came out 85 yeah 38 years old yeah i mean it it it's interesting how it evolves throughout because it's interesting that it sort of starts with with a major character death i suppose and then evolves into something else i think it's super cool how it sort of sneaks into something that it doesn't first appear to be to the point where it almost becomes an all-out action adventure in episode five um but yeah uh, i got a shout out i mean again all the actors are great but joe don baker darius jedberg darius what a what a, what a man what a performance <laughs> i mean it's interesting because uh like for those that don't know, uh, Martin Campbell uh, directed two Bond films, one of which was Goldeneye, one of which was Casino Royale. But he uses um, Joe Don Baker as Jack Wade in Goldeneye, He's yeah. pretty much playing exactly the same character. <laughs> yeah, um, which is which is kind of awesome. But he's very entertaining. I think the first scene between the first major scene, I should say, between Craven and and Jedberg at the restaurant. Super, um, it's amazing, and there's certain scenes like that throughout the series. Another one is that just really struck me, and it might be in the very first episode, certainly the second, if not, is when Craven goes to meet the um, his daughter's boyfriend for the first yeah. time. Yeah, just incredible. Like it's so well acted and so well written, um, and all it is is two people talking, and it's just it's majestic. It's so so gripping and like well done. And all the stuff with the the ghost or the apparition or, or whatever that you know, that's very very clever, um, and I think is dated very well. My, it allows. My, sorry, man, carry on. No, you go, mate. Sorry, I was just going to comment on that point. Like, it allows his daughter to actually be a character and somebody yeah. sort of worthy of the audience caring about because she dies within the opening moments of the show really and mm-hmm. you do get a little bit of them interacting together but it's minutes and yeah that recollection allows you to sort of join in Craven's grief I think which might have been missing without some of those interactions. I think as well like the you kind of you've shown that they have a close-knit relationship but also I mean sometimes like bordering on uncomfortably close but they're kind of shown to have that relationship, but I think throughout the film kind of 
like Craven realizes that he doesn't actually kind of know his daughter, like this huge sways. Like obviously, like before she's murdered, it's is because he's picking her up from the like Gaia meeting, but he doesn't really understand, he kind of understands what the purpose of that group is, but not to the extent that they like the length that they go to. And um and yeah, like his his daughter's just got this whole like hidden part of her personality, I guess. And I think like without the interaction kind of between Craven and his daughter after her death, like it's quite hard to fill in those those blanks. Like I think it's a really clever like device to use to kind of make it make sense to an audience and to kind of show their relationship. Agreed. Yep, agreed. One of your comments there leads me into there, there were just a couple of things that I found to be slight odd, odd choices. Um, one was in the very first episode after his daughter's been killed. He's going through her things, and from a plot perspective, he finds a gun, a Geiger counter, various other sort of paraphernalia. He also finds her uh, marital her marital aid. <laughs> um, and in my mind's eye, I thought this this could be telling us one of two things. It could either show up perhaps a little bit of prudishness in Craven as a father, or it could be him appreciating that his daughter had you know matured and become a woman. Um, instead of either of those things, gives a little kiss, puts it aside, carries on with what he's doing. <laughs> I thought that was um, yeah, I didn't didn't quite understand what the purpose of that particular moment was. I, I'm not trying to argue that I like understand that fully either, but I think that whole. I think that whole scene is really good. Him like going through his daughter's kind of belongings, and it's the first thing that you kind of realize his daughter isn't the person that like he thought she was. Like yeah. the end of that, the end of that scene, I think, is when he's like lying on the bed with the gun basically pointed at himself, and he's got like a giant like teddy bear in his other hand, which is, I, I presume, like just a juxtaposition between like the. The kind of way, yeah, the way yeah. he thinks of his daughter and the way his daughter actually is. But it's such a, like, mad shot to finish the first episode of, like, looks like a crazed man. I, I think, basically, it's just a it's just a man going through grief who doesn't know how to, like, deal yeah. with it. Like, it's, it's, just, odd, it... it's odd responses, as I think, like, a lot of people would have odd responses to things in that moment. Like, Perhaps so. Doesn't know Perhaps how to so. deal with any of it. Like, it's just sort of an overwhelming, confusing, like, look through her through her things. One, one thing I did like less, which uh, I think I'm going to get some resistance on, particularly from Mark, uh, was the, the Clapton score. Um, I actually think most of the, the the general score is pretty decent, but um, the sort of blues guitar didn't work tonally for me, and is super loud compared to the rest of the music. It's just uh, it throws it right in your face, and like the main theme. Yeah, basically that that main theme that, that comes in occasionally during an episode, but obviously makes up the sort of uh, bookends the the, the show. Um, yeah, didn't didn't do a lot for me. 
Yeah, I I do disagree. <laughs> I I think it's it's great because it it lends it a uniqueness, um, which just makes it feel like itself, really. I mean, I'm the, not. The, I, I think it sounds like cop shows in the 1980s. I think like it sounds like Cracker. I'm not, I'm not sure it's that unique. Um, I guess I've not watched that many <laughs> 80s cop shows. Um, to me, it, it felt more in keeping with something like Twin Peaks, except, you know, rather than the synth, which is also there as well. Uh, yeah, it just has those occasional licks, but... Yeah, I enjoyed them. I don't think they were overdone. The the score in general is is quite minimal. And it's actually um Michael Kamen, who obviously does a lot of the actual backing music, and I assume it's just Clapton sort of wading over the top of it sometimes, but he's a kind of pretty legendary composer as well. And uh yeah, I, I think the music's really good. I generally like it, just not the not not what Clapton's added. Essentially, I think that's uh, that could go for me. Ouch! Sorry, Eric. Yeah, I I, I kind of like the main theme. I, I do get where you're coming from. It's um, it's it's sort of a it's a very eighties sleazy. Yeah, um, and it didn't feel like that type of show. I mean, we were talking briefly, like about Ronald. Craven earlier and the, although he's a detective he almost immediately just circumvents the law um, in order to sort of get answers and, and pursue the plot but it doesn't it doesn't feel like a kind of so that's kind of sleazy noirish thing so just it felt as an odd tonal choice particularly in the the more like uh, emotionally powerful sections I, I think it, it was an when when that kind of lick comes in, yeah, it just didn't didn't work for me really. By far not enough to like be any uh, real off putter from the show, but yeah, no, not for me that one. Yeah, interesting. I I like it as I say. I don't think it's just like traditional blues or anything. It's quite it's quite dark still. It, yeah, I, I thought it suited it personally. I think it would have been weird had it had a sort of standard orchestral score. And I'm also glad it just doesn't have a kind of soundscape score as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not advocating uh, for something else necessarily, but... No, it's, it's fair enough. Um, I guess my only real criticism, because to me, I think heading into like the end of episode five, like the way it leads to you know basically the the going through the mine and everything and the action that comes from it it starts to get like pretty over the top to be honest but in a really fun way mm-hmm. um i guess my only slight criticism is i w- wasn't in love with the final episode if i'm being brutally honest i think craven almost becomes a spare part i don't really know what he does in the in the last episode i don't think it makes his character makes any difference to proceedings and i'm not saying that's necessary exactly but um i did think it was a little bit of a shame it does no. kind of bring it back with the awesome you know screaming in the hills <laughs> outro but um i just think I, I just think that the last episode for me wasn't quite you know wasn't quite the killer like outro that I'd hoped for, I suppose. 
I think that's kind of fair. I think um, it resolves above Craven's head, really. Like the the resolution becomes less personal because it becomes sort of a much bigger political conspiracy, perhaps. Yeah, I was going to mention it when you were talking about Jedberg. Like that's one of the that's that's probably my favourite Jedberg moment is the final episode and the uh, the like Jedberg speech in Scotland. Well, that is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, that that is great. Maybe it's just the bleakness of it as well, because it is quite kind of hard to watch. Your sort of two leads basically become decrepit, like ill, you know. I get that that's necessary or whatever. It just I it's just a bit sad, I guess. It's just a bit of a downer, you know. You definitely Um, you're definitely right, Will, about the story kind of evolving beyond Craven. I was thinking like they don't actually kind of resolve it. But they resol I I do I didn't come away from the series feeling dissatisfied because they didn't, but you never get like as he's searching for like his daughter's killer, they obviously find the person but they never really find who actually like who directly hired him like the mystery is kind of left unsolved in that Mm. regards and then you've got lots of like you've got lots of characters that kind of their involvement is never really fully explained you know like Harcourt and Pendleton like you kind of you're never quite sure whether they're helping him or not and by the end of it that's not totally resolved either way either like you kind of understand why Jack Burr is there like he's been sent there essentially to like go down into the mines <laughs> yeah he's trying to help him gather information because that suits them like to have that information but well that's it, in the end it, it ends up being a sort of high high level deal between the US and Britain to yeah store and manufacture plutonium illegally <laughs> yeah but yeah so it's I've I don't know. I'd be interested to see what the original, like whether the story kind of evolved away from what it was originally set out as. Like I say, it didn't leave me. I thought about that afterwards. Like I didn't watch the last episode and feel kind of cold by it. Although I do agree with you, Matt, but I don't think the ending's disappointing. I just think the fifth episode is the real, like the peak of the series. It's not a hero's journey where people get their happy ending. Like most, most characters whether they have their answers or not, I kind of end up a little bit worse than where they where they start off, if not just dead. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't even mind the fact that it doesn't have like full closure and it leaves it a bit open. I, that, that's fine. I liked the final image as well of the black flowers and everything. That's very cool. Um, yeah. And yeah, just how it even ends up, as we've all said, I think, the way how it ends up basically from an initially just sort of a routine murder mystery and evolves into something quite different is is super cool i think it is it is a i wouldn't say it's a challenge challenging watch because it's not it's incredibly watchable and entertaining but i think it's a complicated plot i suppose is the better way of Mm. looking at it i'm not going to pretend that i followed a hundred percent of it as you said andy with like certain characters I was like, okay, are these guys good? Are these guys bad and everything? But yeah, I think that's obviously intentional as well, like to keep you guessing. And they they're all cool characters as well. Like all those side people are great. I liked um Godbolt, is it? Is he the Yeah, um... James Godbolt, the union guy. 
Yeah. Oh he's, yeah. Yeah. He's great. Um, yeah. I, again, I, I really don't have any complaints. Like you said about the pacing, Will, and I, I think you're spot on there. Beautifully paced and also really nicely shot. Just generally, it's not flashy, but it it takes its time at the at the right times, I guess, and lets scenes play out. And it's got a real naturalism to it, I think, which is 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 why it doesn't feel dated. You know, I just think it. Yeah, it's incredibly well made and quite unlike anything else I've seen from Martin Campbell. Yeah, I really enjoyed seeing um, Hugh Frazier, who is uh, most famous to me as playing the wet blanket Hastings in alongside David Suchet's Poirot, playing like a truly uh, menacing, uh, incredibly wealthy sort of owner of this um, nuclear storage facility and I think he plays a, like a superb role, particularly when there's a couple of moments he has the sort of uh, political and legal upper hand. Um, do they have they make they uh, they have a hearing, don't they, about what's gone on? Yeah, yeah. And he kind of has his ace card up his sleeve that the whole thing's been done for the MOD, and the the smugness with which he delivers those mm. like crushing blows are just a great. I love a good villain who really just makes the toes curl. And uh, I was surprised to see it from Hugh Fraser, because like I say, he's normally the bumbling, like, genteel Hastings. I have to say, I'm not familiar with him. I think I know who you're talking about, though. And yes, he was great. But it, it is one of those, it's that nice thing, isn't it, where there's several faces where it's like, I, I recognise that person from mm-hmm. something. But yeah, there, there's no there's no weak point at all. Um, yeah. I think the comparison by talking about modern series, this is taking the conversation back quite a while, but mm-hmm. um because I think like some of the things that you mentioned are kind of big, big series and the they're made in a very different way, sort of more episodic and um and Will, you were talking recently, not on the podcast, we were just talking together, um about uh not smiley's people. Help me out here. Tinker Taylor. Taylor soldier. Thank you. About Tinker Taylor and saying like it's been made, like they're not episodic at all. Like it literally is just a story that's cut up. And I kind of feel like this is sort of in between that a little bit. Like it is Great. episodic. Like I would say episode five is completely different in kind of feel to the rest of the series almost. But it feels like it's six episodes because that's how long it took them to make the story. And then mm-hmm. like the they probably just got signed to make this mini series based on this, like, you know, mm-hmm. the storyboard of it. And and it, it took as long as it took. So there's no I don't know. I don't feel like you get that sort of flexibility anymore. There's an argument that sort of Netflix maybe give you a bit more flexibility, but certainly things like Chernobyl, which you mentioned that was made for TV, like I think at certain points like you probably signed on for six episodes or whatever it is and it kind of dictates a little bit whereas this like you say you can kind of allow bits to breathe and kind of move quite slowly because it is just sort of building tension and then other bits can be like quite kinetic and and like fast-paced because that's the kind of energy that you want into that bit of the script and there's no kind of restrictions on it like if they needed to make it seven episodes it would have been seven episodes if the story took five episodes it would have been five right I don't know. It's just something I don't think exists anymore, I guess. Yeah, just the way television's made is is so yeah. different. 
and the, the the pressures and how you make your money. I mean, you mentioned these days that just somebody came along and went, I've got a six episode ser- like drama series. And they're like, okay, well, what's the what's the merchandising potential? What's the sequel? You're like, no, no, that's it. Six episodes, that's my story. And, and we're done forever. I think I don't, you, just... I, I'm a pretty cynical man. I don't think everything's made like that. Like there's uh, there's still there's still interesting and and good TV miniseries being made. But I don't know. It's um I think as well, like something like this is the BBC don't make something like this because they don't have the budget to make something like this like they can't compete like you imagine the bbc getting a like you can argue that martin campbell went on to do bigger things but like you imagine the bbc getting a director who has the potential to go on and direct one of the biggest movie franchises of all time like it's just Mm -hmm. sort of unheard of i don't know i mean i would say it's more of a romp or whatever but the their version of the night manager i think shows that they can still they can still do it. They can still do that. It was the exact level TV. But... It was the exact series I was thinking of when <laughs> Will said, yeah. "Sort of, what's the commerciality of it?" And I, yeah, I, it's a that's a decent comparison because I think it's a great series, but and with a good cast as well. But, but yeah, they're a rarity. Yeah, you wonder how much more there is from the past that is great because. I think the common conception is that like if something is old or whatever, then it's it's just not as good. Like it will be cheaper and you know less well made and less well written and everything. I kind of find it the opposite. I I think this puts to shame most TV that I see these days, to be honest. I just think it's far better put together, really interestingly made, uh filmmaking-wise as well, but again, without ever being flashy. And it, it felt to me like, I don't know, it must be sort of 95% shot on location as well, I think. And I, I really liked yep. the way the locations were used, like the his house and the the way the geography of that location was used with like the, the shooter sort of stalking him from the outside and everything. And just the, it gives you a real impression of the, of the place and um, it makes it feel lived in as well. I don't get that kind of vibe very often anymore. I don't think things take the time to, to sort of do it. But as we say, it takes the time, but it, it never becomes boring, which is the impressive thing. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's, it's, the, it's an argument like we've had plenty of times before. Like I think the fact is like this is held up as one of the like – best series of its like time period and that's why it's still well for a start like you can still buy it and, and watch it like it, most things mm-hmm. are still accessible but there's more tv that's been made than there ever has been in the past and mm-hmm. the things that you're watching from the past are the things that have kind of survived like there's uh i'm sure there are a million no i i understand terrible that. series that that are on like just you know, the copies of it just don't exist. Like, you physically can't watch it anymore. I understand that completely. I just think it's it's cool how, if this came out as a new series, like this, like this Christmas, for example, I actually think it would still work and still gain an audience. I think people would love it. I could be well off base, I don't know. Maybe it is a bit too uh, 
to we're always the voice of them. we're always the voice of the people i mean to that point i think i wonder what it'd be like to have watched it over say six weeks like how because it is a complicated plot it takes a lot of twists and turns it throws in a lot of characters whose allegiances are not always immediately sort of clear so i wonder if you were watching this say, on, a, on a weekly basis how coherent it would be I think I, I might have read it on IMDb, but I think it had a run where it was weekly over uh, on, I guess it would have been BBC Two. And then it was um, so critically acclaimed and kind of popular that it immediately had a run of on uh, BBC One. Like literally the next week it was on BBC One. They just showed it over two nights in like right. three, in two hours basically. Two big TV movies. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, I could I could imagine it watched like that definitely. Which is kind of how I watched it basically. Like I um no no I think I watched I might watch two I might watch two three and one actually but um I but I yeah two, I did two and then four but <laughs> yeah but I, actually yeah I might have watched two and four you know but I did watch it in big chunks anyway. Your daughter was a terrorist, Craven. You might as well get used to it. People who mess with plutonium are terrorists. So, have we got any more for any more, or are we ready to score? Oh, that rhymed. That was nice. I know. I was going to claim that I didn't mean it, which I didn't, but then I thought, you know, it's better if it looks like I did mean it. Gone too far into explaining it now. Can you remember it? We're going to do it every week. I mean, we've recorded it, so I don't need to remember it. (laughs) I'm good to score. Yeah, yeah, all right. Well, as you volunteered, Andy. I, I haven't decided though, that's the problem. I'll give it a I'll I'll give it a nine. I don't really know what I'm knocking it down for. I, I like why it doesn't get the big ten, but it doesn't feel absolutely perfect. You're, you're very ten shy in as a general rule. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever given one. You need to you have. Um which you then rescinded, I believe, <laughs> weeks later. It was um, inside that you were 10. Yeah. I don't think I would have uh, taken that back. What did I give Promising Young Woman? I definitely feel like I would have eased that back. Give that a nine. Doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's not get into the admin part. Um, yeah. I, I, a 10 feels like it has to be like a perfect piece of, filmmaking and my do you not say it was it's it's pretty pretty darn close to be honest like i think it's uh i think it's super but i think like your criticisms at the end like you could argue it kind of peaks an episode early and then i don't feel like it peters out massively but it's i, I didn't feel it finished unsatisfactory but it didn't quite peak at the ending as maybe you could have wished for but it did tuck away so little for me i just enjoyed the whole the whole journey of it, I will. Uh, I'll probably watch it again at some point. I, I definitely will watch it again at some point, um, and hopefully, long enough will have passed that I've forgotten everything about it again. So yeah, nine out of ten. Well, I can jump in and say I am exactly the same. Uh, pretty much the same reason. It's just that last episode, which again I agree, it's not. It's not bad. It just sort of ramped up so nicely and I think it was just the kind of as I say 
the fact that the two leads were sort of, you know, had the poisoning and everything and were effectively dying. Um, just a little bit, a little bit bleak for me, but I think it's a, a fabulously made uh, TV show in general. Um, I mean, I'm going to waste no time. I'm also going to give it a nine. My complaints are ever so slightly different, such as the Clapton score. Um, I kind of agree with you about the end. My issue with it is more that it, I think it, it's just less personal to Craven. You spend a long time building up the emotional resonance with, and then the, the plot sort of just cuts him out as it, as it soars ahead. But yeah. as you said, none of it is really enough to, over the course of over five hours of watching, um, they're just little, just little um, tiny issues, tiny little things that are, that are inconsequential, really. I guess I'm not quite as enamoured with it, um, but it is recognisably just excellently made, really engaging, really well put together by all involved. Good choice, Andy. Yeah, definitely. So with that done and a mighty nines all round, we move to your album choice, uh, which is the The Car by Arctic Monkeys. Don't get emotional, that ain't like you. Yesterday still leaking through. That's nothing new. Uh, it is their seventh studio album released on October this year. It has 10 songs. They are 37 minutes and 23 seconds long. Um, I think I'll probably predict the reasoning behind it. But because I really don't know quite how to get into these, Andy, tell us about this album. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I count Arctic Monkeys as one of the bands that I want to like and have never quite found anything to hang my hat on. But, I mean, at, um, we were at Uni, Will, when their first album came out and we yeah. were going to Indie indie Nights, having a bit of a dance to Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. And Absolutely. I kind of grew kind of grew out of that, but, like, so did they. And I, I always – I like the idea that they sort of went through – um kind of constant changes like they sort of some things i like some things i don't like usually i can find one or two tracks on most albums that i like their last album they kind of moved into this i mean the last album was really like a departure but to a real like lounge sound and i i like the vibe of it but i didn't i didn't like enough of the songs like i kind of found it a bit boring as an album and um yeah i i I had higher expectations for this based on the singles. Um, I was kind of hoping that they would kind of lean into the same same vibe, but it would be more musically interesting. So that was that was my hopes. Realistically, I thought I'd probably like three songs off it, not like the rest. But well, we'll find out exactly what you thought uh, in a mo. Sorry. Um... I when the singles came out and obviously you kind of touted it as a as a choice for the the podcast. Listen to a couple of the singles. I think it was 
Is it there better be a mirror ball and body paint? Am I right there? They were the first two. They were, yeah. Um, and I thought they were sort of okay at the time. And um, so my expectations were perhaps a little bit lower for this album. I have a very similar journey to yourself. Obviously, we went to uni together. So listen to Arctic Monkeys together at that time. Didn't really follow up. I think I listened to some of their second album um, for a while, but sort of fell away from it. Uh, I guess the only difference is I haven't reconvened with Arctic Monkeys until this album, but it sounds like they're continuing that jazz, uh, lounge jazz sort of aesthetic into this album. Um, and as you said, like I, I often complain that I think bands either fail to evolve or evolve in the wrong direction <laughs> by my humble standards. Um, so I appreciate that a band does try and evolve and particularly I get the impression that this is um especially for Alex Turner like the pet project now this is what he wants to make and I think from him it's probably fairly uncompromising I'm still not sort of bowled away by it but I have an appreciation for it and um I don't think any of it is is outright bad I just think quite a lot of it is sort of ordinary Go on, Mark. Oh, who would have thought? Uh, but I think I'm going to be the most positive, maybe, of the three. Now, this is a band I actively dislike, kind of strongly. <laughs> I, I think I think they are a rubbish band. Uh, up until um, this album, it's reasonable to say that I've not listened to all the albums but that's only because any time I've ever tried I just find it obnoxious I don't find it remotely musically interesting and his voice does my head in and I was never as enamored with his lyrics as as many seem to be I think I, I I'm only a couple of years older but yeah maybe I was I, it just did nothing for me when they first came out I just was already done with that kind of indie dance wankery or whatever I just don't care this is way more my kind of vibe but it still took a number of listens to kind of ingrain itself in I don't think there's that many great songs on the album I still think his melodies are mostly kind of meandering and bland but in this format they come alive a lot more partially because of the way he sings them uh, I think his lyrics are for me, at least, at times, a little bit more evocative. They just uh, are a bit more surreal, and some of the imagery is kind of cool. But mainly, the string arrangements are genuinely quite good, I think, and they sort of carry the melodic interest a lot of the time for me. Um, and, yeah, it's just... Uh, I don't know whether I'd call it lounge. I, I get that. I just think there's just sort of... It's an album of string ballads, basically, which I'm I'm okay with that. I enjoy a good string ballad. So, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise. I I think this is from again from what I've heard, it's by far my favourite Arctic Monkeys album. My teeth are beating and my knees are weak. It's as if there's something up with the wire. 
Well, you said that, yeah, he, you said that, like, he might be the most positive. Like, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Like, I would, I'd agree with a lot of that. I don't think it is a lounge album. Um, I think they've really built on that. The The string arrangements are the 100% the selling point of the album. I think they're, they're kind of great throughout it. I think on the last... I think kind of Alex Turner and his like solo stuff, and we can get into this because I think this is essentially a solo album, but um, I think on his solo stuff, he's always kind of uh, moved more towards kind of orchestrated rock than the Arctic Monkeys have and like side projects and things like that. But um, but I don't think he's ever had string arrangements that were, but they're often quite kind of bland string arrangements and i think on this they're they're way more interesting i, I just like i looked up um on wikipedia and it's like two people one of which is alex turner accredited for the string arrangements but um and yeah i'd kind of agree with you i do have favorite songs on it but it's more i like listening to the album as a whole like it, it it's, yeah. a, it's a real vibe thing i do think like the I remember saying this to you, Will, and I've backed off a little bit because the first half of the album grew on me a bit, but I still think the second half of the album, like the run from the car, like track six, basically down to nine. I think those four four tracks are maybe five mm-hmm. to nine. I think are probably my, like my favorite songs on the album. I think like two, three, and four, I'm kind of less fussed about, um, particularly I'll say favorite, but um and yeah, he's very his, interesting. I think like his vocals, I think his vocals are great on it. Like I think I watched the Jules Holland. Mm, they had like a too. special, special on Jules Holland. And um hearing his vocals on that, you can imagine that he just recorded it. I'm sure he didn't, but he could have just recorded it in one take live. Like the sort of like control on his like falsetto and things like that, I think uh Excellent. He's so much. He's he's a much better singer than he was ten years ago. Like yeah, unre- I, unrecognizably better, I'd say. I agree, and it's it's clearly an intentional thing to get away from the kind of you know spitting it out lads shite that he used to do. Um, yeah, I, I think his singing is improved. I still don't absolutely love his voice, but there are times where I think it's super effective, and actually. I think um, the song that most grew on me uh, is the second song. I ain't quite where I think I am. That grew on where... me as well. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really like it at first. and Me neither. I, I think I kind of said that to Will, like the third single came out and I plain didn't like it. But it, yeah, it's very much been a grower. But that's that's the one song where, I, I you know, I've read this, many people have said it, but that's the one to me where it really comes across that he's almost doing Bowie sort of inflections on the way he sings. Yeah. And um, that's also probably the most hooky song, I think. Just the um, the little bits of backing vocal that come in uh, with the, you know, little gospel choir or whatever it is. I think it's... Yeah, there there are, like, I do think... Sorry, Will. You carry on, mate. 
I was just going to say there are like I don't think he's like a fantastically strong melody writer as a as I've said I think the melodies are are fine but they're well complicated complemented by the strings a lot of the time which again lift them and it's it is interesting that he did I wrote, read that as well that he co-wrote the strings which surprised me a little bit because it like, they don't sound anything like his vocal melodies so I don't know you know, fair play to him. I've I've got a lot of respect for what he did on this album in general. It doesn't really matter who wrote what, like who cares? That they work together very well. But there are a couple of songs where it's actually harmonically far more interesting than what I've heard of their earlier stuff as well. Like just the hundred even when yeah. it's even when it's stripped down to just like the kind of guitar openings, those alone. I think it's uh Mr. Schwartz's one. And sorry, I can't remember if it's the car or big ideas. There's one which starts with like a quite nice, just basic guitar pattern with a couple of weird switches in it. And then it gradually builds throughout. Mr. Swart definitely starts off with that, like quite, um, yeah, it, uh, quite exposed, exposed like picking guitar patterns. Yeah, I think they do a similar trick. It might be in the car, but I, I could be wrong. Um, I should have checked, but bad with song names but yeah you know fair play they he has evolved like they have evolved and ultimately it's just the kind of music i would far rather listen to it and it's quite a win because i think it is quite difficult to be honest to take an artist that you actively dislike and come around to thinking do you know what fair play i actually really like this and will continue listening to it like that is hugely rare it's a hell of a turnaround yeah i think I, I guess a lot of the time you wouldn't even bother listening to it if you don't like the artist, you know what I mean? But even if you do, you sort of come in with that prejudiced view, I guess, where you don't expect to like it, so you don't particularly try to. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, yeah it's I still, cool that this has sort of won you around. I think that makes for a, a, a good listening experience. I think Andy said it. It was, it was the fact that it works kind of as an album without ever truly like having any wow moments, I don't think. Um, but it's just a really solid listen overall. I My do... only... Sorry, go on. Okay, okay. Sorry, I, I know I'm talking a lot. No, no, no. Go but it's uh, My only complaint, I suppose, as well would be there is still a slight lack of variety. So it, it makes it work as an album that it's kind of broadly the same, but there's two or three tracks in a row I think tracks three to five, where it's a very similar tempo, very similar drum beat in each song. And to the point where it's like, has, has the song actually changed? But it's not a huge issue. I think there's like, yeah, I'd agree. Like a, a lot of the songs are, it, it's why it works as an album, I think better than it works for singles. But there's certain songs like, body paint again like it's another one that just grew on me because i remember my first comments to you with that i thought it just it's a it's a song in three movements isn't it i guess and it it kind of i don't know i think it's a really interestingly written song actually by the time i'd listened to it a few times i was kind of on board with it like i I sort of felt like it was three separate parts that didn't really gel together, but there's just little bits, like it kind of starts off with that like little piano melody, which I think like 
The melody's not anything particularly interesting, but I think it settles on a really interesting note. And then it's only mm. at the start of the outro that that comes like back in again. And um, yeah, there's just little things that I think sort of tie it together really nicely. And then something like Hello You, I, I kept trying to count through. I listened to the outro of that quite a few tra- times, trying to count through it, trying to work out where it was like adding and taking beats like in and out. I basically couldn't quite follow it. Like it's kind of in four and then it swaps over to, oh no, sorry, it's in three and then it swaps over to four. And then it has the kind of outro where it's just, every time the, like the melody bit, like the vocal melody comes back in, it's it's no longer in a sort of, like it, it it's adding or dropping beats and I can't quite follow it. Like I just, I, I don't know, something about it. There's just little interesting moments, I think, that kind of, do add that little bit of variety even though it is quite a cohesive similar sounding album travel size champagne cock pops and we're sweeping for boats some dusty apartment what's it called cafe Arrive at 11 and have lunch with the English. I think it's in uh, sort of two of your points where I'm just a bit less positive generally. Um, the first one, which is, is to a lesser extent, is kind of the strings. I think there are really nice moments in it. I think there's, I, to my ear at least, there are moments of fairly predictable ordinary backing strings as well mixed in there so i don't i don't really quite think that's fair i don't yeah so i don't quite agree that i think it's 100 successful throughout i think there are really nice times i didn't listen to the previous album so i don't have that sort of baseline to compare it to but i don't know it wasn't it wasn't a huge wow for me uh, throughout the album and the second one more so i think i prefer his voice than what it was originally but I find this to be really sort of lightweight and without much depth to it. And, um, but nor does it kind of have the delicacy to go, go the other way. Uh, it sits, sits in the middle of, of sort of two stylistic things for me as voice and, and thus sort of doesn't, I don't think it's particularly bad, but it doesn't do a lot for me. And combining that with, as you've already mentioned, like, not the the most wildly interesting of um, melody writing. My appreciation for this album is much more scattershot. Like I think I like the first two tracks, maybe no, maybe mm-hmm. maybe the first three, then the car, and then probably Mr. Schwartz. I think everything else is is sort of absolutely fine. None of it I find like particularly difficult to listen to. But the rest of outside of those songs, I, I just sort of found them quite ordinary to my ear it is it is funny I'm, I'm everything you're saying i kind of agree with me to be fair but i wonder we probably came from well actually no my, my expectations weren't particularly high but i imagine yours were sort of rock bottom not not that i'm suggesting that would sway your like your position on it but i think it when you found positives they seem much rosier positives because of your start starting mm. position than they than they might have done to me um, being slightly higher up uh, at a starting point. I don't I don't disagree with your 
points. I just kind of come at them at a different place, I guess. Like the strings, um, I don't really know what you would expect. Like there's there's very little songs that have like, like in t- there are some points where you're going to just like the right thing for the song is just mm-hmm. kind of like the thing that is in 90% of songs because it's successful, sort of sweeping, gorgeous, you know, triads and yeah uh, i think but as you say it's in most things because it's successful but that also means it's in most things so you hear it all the time and therefore but but i don't think this album is is like absolutely full of that i think there are times when it does that and there are times where there's like way more interesting like you know counter melodies and that's probably you know, slight, slight clashes and things like that like and i think if it was all the other way it would be quite jarring <laughs> Are you well? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not. Sometimes the right thing is just the appropriate thing. Not, you don't not need to do advocating for extremes. But I, I don't know. I guess even at its height, it isn't. I, I didn't find it that interesting to be, to be quite honest. Yeah, I, I sort of said it from the start. I, I still think there's a lack of truly great, like melodic writing going on. I, you know, that that is the major problem for me. It's it's very rare that like. I know this is unfair, but whatever, if you're going to like hammer strings over everything and sort of go broadly for this style, it's going to happen. If I compare it to virtually like any John Barry song, and clearly he's a Bond music fan, I've heard them cover Diamonds Are Forever, for example, and I know he's spoken about it. But if you're going to play in that playground, like, you know, you're you're up against some some great classic music and the the simple fact is it doesn't come close to any of the kind of melodic greatness as a of like you know again any John Barry song to my mind but even stuff like I don't know Bacharach or whatever you're playing in the houses of giants you know and um I think it's it's cool like that's I, I respect the fact that they've they've gone for that and I massively prefer it but I still don't think there's not really a single song in there that I take away and say like, this is an absolute tune. You know, it's um, maybe the first two, I kind of agree, Will. I think the first two are like probably the strongest, but yeah. So it sounds like I'm going back and forth. I still like it quite a bit. As I say, I mean, I I think it's a, a really solid album. I just don't think it like ever quite reaches that like masterpiece status, obviously. Yeah, I'm not going to argue it's a masterpiece. Just going back on to, well, two things I want to pick up on. One, um, vocal melody, I agree. I think like Alex Turner has a vocal style to the point where it's kind of like a meme. <laughs> I've seen videos where they're like, this is how you write an Arctic Monkeys song. And like writing an Alex Turner like melody, there are just things that he does and has always done. And so like... The music may change a lot, but I think there's, um, I don't think any of his melodies, like vocal melodies are the most interesting thing in the world. But, and and also like, I'm not totally disagreeing with most of the things that he's kind of said about his voice, Will. I don't think he is the strongest vocalist. Um, I think it's like fuller character. I think that's the thing that I like about it. Like, I think it's... um, like it's it's not the technically greatest voice in the world, but I think he has like in in terms of like tone and 
Like I, I don't think it's ever like a, like gorgeous vocals, but it's. I... Um, but I, but I think like there's a like the control and stuff on it. I think is superb, and I think like it is absolutely full of character. Like some some words it kind of spits out a bit more, and some like a lot more delicate. Like there's yeah, I, I think it's characterful. I think the, the character of it more than the technicality of it. I think is absolutely fair, but I think that works on a much more personal level. And um, again, where I think there are there are kind of moments in this album. There are also moments where I think. Um, occasionally sort of actively bad whether it's through choice or or otherwise like certain notes are hit that i just i think don't sound very good occasionally yeah and i'd never found that i agree that he has character uh but a lot of it sounds like pastiche like he's just trying so hard to add character um, it doesn't have that natural like quirkiness that I like when certain singers sing different songs in different ways very naturally. It it sounds a little bit forced in his case to me. Like it it does kind of sound like it's just, yeah, I'm gonna try and sound a bit like David Bowie on this one. Um or I'm gonna croon it, you know. And it's 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 an improvement on what he did before by by a huge amount. But I, I still don't think he's, I just don't actually love his voice. I never have. But I'm glad he is mixing it up because it's certainly I'm not nicer listening to it this way. Formation displays of affection fly over. I fall back and I can see both islands now. a few hands blank expressions invite me to what was i know we kind of touched on this but what was everyone's favorite track because uh oh yeah mine's very different i kind of lent away from talking about it too much because of our unusual favorite track mine was the car the title track i actually think that that song is um it's pretty banging i think it's got i like the the chord changes are quite unusual it the end of the chorus always resolves back onto the sort of opening verse chord, which is an unusual sort of resolution that I found satisfying every time. And I think it's the song that most closely suited his voice, in my opinion. Um, probably followed by Mr. Schwartz closely second. I thought that was a bit of a banger. But the first three I enjoy um, slightly more than, than everything else. I'm completely in sync with you, Will. Like a hundred percent. I mean, I do body paint did grow on me as well, but it's a it's the first the first two, the third grew on me a bit. And yeah, the car and Mr. Schwartz, because I think they're the two that I mentioned, which actually have the slightly more interesting uh, chord progressions and stuff going on. Yeah, I think the car especially has kind of the, the more unusual uh, chord movement, I think. Yep. Uh yeah, I'm not not in sync with you, I guess. Although I do like the car and I do like Mr. Swartz. I don't really like the third track. It never grew on me particularly. The third and the fourth, I think, are, and in the last, the final track are my least favourites. Yeah, I could certainly agree with like Jet Skis on the Moat, I think probably stands out as my as my least favourite amongst all of it. But 
The last track as well, I think, is a, yeah, is, a, is a weird way to finish an album. It doesn't feel like a closer. It's one of those where I was listening to it on just um, repeat, so it'd start from the beginning. And yeah, it doesn't feel like an album where you know where it ends. The, the first time no. you know it ends is when you realise you're listening to the first track again. I can't think of a yeah. song on it that I think is an ideal closer. It's almost like go away and write a closer. But yeah, yeah. like the songs that no one seems to like, I think seven and eight. Are my favourite two tracks. I think they're uh, they're both. I think they just. I think they they contain a ton of the stuff that you've kind of referenced. I think it's where, I think yeah, the six to nine. I think is where the strings are at their most interesting. I think it's when it's it's most interesting, like structurally within songs. Tons of interesting chord changes. Say hello. I probably just about pit for hello you, but a bit of a toss up between them because I think the outro is like. Um, yeah, rhythmically, really interesting as well. There's just a ton of interest in those songs. Chilling. Do we have any more? Are we ready to score, children? <laughs> you know what? I've gone off it. Let's not use it again. <laughs> yeah, the one and only episode that that gets pulled out. And good score. Okay. I want to pull the trigger or. You voted me in. Yep, you're going. Very well. Um, it is a six from me, I think. Um, there are some highlights on the record. I don't think it is. Uh, at ever times, like, truly bad. Um, but it also just doesn't reach that high for me either. Um, and while I found the listening experience was never a chore, um once I found the next thing, which which will be my choice for next week, I found it quite hard to, to drag myself back to the car when I, I just found something I thought was better. So a six for me. Still good, though. Still in the positives. Yeah, it's a difficult one to score, I think. Um, the other thing which I, I didn't really mention, but I think does hold true, is it's a pretty depressing album I think so depending on my mood sometimes I just say this is just a bit bit miserable really um and it doesn't really have that beautiful melancholia which is the thing I love about that kind of songwriting with strings and stuff where it really lifts and sounds kind of you know bittersweet it, it yeah having said that I've listened to it a lot and I don't really get bored of it. And I think it's almost aided in that sense by the fact that it's quite bland. There's there's, there's not, not that much going on. So, oh God. I'll give it an eight. Andy, round us off. Are you coming in? Well, I'm surprised, I'll be honest. I thought... Uh... Not that you were negative about the album, Mark, but in fact, both of you are kind of, I think you're both a point higher than I expected you to be. For that reason, I want to give it a nine, but I'm going to stick to an eight. <laughs> it felt better than a berry to somewhat justify my six. <laughs> yeah, I thought Mark was going to come in on a seven and then I could just pip it on an eight, but I'm, I'm, I'll stick to the eight. I really enjoyed it. It's like, there's three tracks I don't like. Well, it's saying I don't like, like they're, they're very inoffensive. Yeah, like, I agree with that. They're, they're definitely like 
towards the blander end of the scale, but I don't have like heavy criticisms of them. I think bits of the album I've, I find I think are really interesting, and I like the overall vibe a bit. And like I say, I like Alex Turner's vocals a lot more than you guys do. And um, so I guess it's a strong gate for me, whereas Mark has maybe talked himself up to it. But but yeah, it's a, I wasn't expecting to. I I sort of thought the best it'd be a seven, and I'd maybe like three or four tracks quite a lot. But I like half the album quite a lot, probably more six tracks. Timing wise, it's probably for the best. Come here and kiss me now before it gets too cute. Mr. Schwartz is staying strong for the crew. Wardrobes lint rolling your velveteen suit. Well, with all that said and done, uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of Screen and Needle Podcast. Uh, Next time will be my picks, and I have for you. The film uh, I'd like you to watch is RRR, which is an uh, an Indian Telugu language film, I think referred to as Tollywood, Um, but I certainly don't want to be wrong about that. but I think that is the case, and that is on Netflix. That should be an easy watch. Uh, the album is Quality Over Opinion by Louis Cole, which came out this year. Um, and was one I just sort of stumbled across, but I hope you dig it. Um, so thank you to the internet for joining us for another episode of Screen and Needle. Uh, join us next time. We'll do more motion pictures and more um, audio delights. Until then, bye-bye.